fall into heresy is a worse defeat than any the battlefield offers. Hello and welcome to Heresy Cast. My name is Gabe, and today I'm joined by my father, Edward. Hello, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. I'm also joined by Sean. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. And today we're going to be covering the very basics of what you need to start playing the actual game of Warhammer 40,000. Yeah, we did, what, three hours of story time with Ed, and we're going to get past some of the stuff. We'll get back to story time, but uh, we're really going to get into the actual game side of this one, how to start an army, what things to look for. And in case you haven't noticed, I'm in the sideshow on this one. This isn't my show, this one. This is, I am totally giving over the reins to Gabe on this one and letting him go run for the show. So away we go. Yeah, I got put in the hot seat today, but uh, I did my research and I, I think I'm ready. He's got so. notes and everything. He really does. I'm looking at him right now. So, okay. We've already had three episodes of lore, but if you're going to start playing the game, uh, before we talk anything else, before buying anything, before looking at anything else, I highly, highly implore that if you've already watched th about three hours worth of content from us or listened to it, please do yourself a favor and go find one of my favorite YouTubers for 40k content, uh, Bricky. If you look at his YouTube uh, YouTube videos, he has two videos on all of the armies in 40k and a little bit of their lore. It gives a little summary. And then he also has another on uh, which army to buy. It's about three hours of content, so it'll be about what you've already watched or listened to. But please do yourself a favor before you even start thinking about playing. Go listen or watch those. It will make the game so much more enjoyable if you are playing an army that you like the lore of and you like the story behind and actually playing. So like, if you like the idea of being Vikings in, in space, get Space Wolves. I don't care if they're great. I don't care if they're terrible. Get them if you find them cool. Golden rule, rule of cool. That is first and foremost. Yeah, I think it's that's probably a big important. Um, first of all, the, uh, shout out to Bricky for all of his stuff. He also did a breakdown of each individual Space Marine Legion too, kind of giving over the Primarchs, basically what those. So there's probably about four hours of content about. if you really want to dive into it. But you shouldn't go into the game going, "Ooh, I want to get the best army in the game," because the best army in the game today is not going to be the best army in the game tomorrow, and it most certainly isn't going to be the best army in the game a year or two or three from now. So, it, legitimately, I think it's a, a good solid point to be able to attach yourself to an army that you enjoy, because you're going to be painting these miniatures for a really long time. You're going to be collecting the army for a really time. So it should be something that you can get behind. And I hate to say it, it's kind of like a marriage, for better or for worse, um, in good times and bad, in sickness and health, whenever, you, like, your army is going to be your army, it's going to say an awful lot about you. I mean, there are some of those players that bounce around, they, this army doesn't, does, doesn't do well anymore, I'm going to sell it all off, and I'm going to start from scratch, and that just, to me, feels kind of disingenuous, that, that if that's the way that you enjoy the game, that's on you, cool. I'm glad it works for you. For me, I've had the same armies I have had for years. And sometimes they're good and sometimes they're bad and you just kind of go with the flow on those. Yeah, and that perfectly leads into the whole idea of, to me, there are two different ideas of thought and two different, or three different classes of player, I'll call it. Think of it like a weird 40k D&D uh, &D alignment sheet. So there are casual players and there are competitive players. Casual players are your usual, I play at home, I play every once in a while, maybe twice a week, maybe every week, but you're not really interested in going to tournaments. You're just interested in putting some models and in, in terrain down on the table, 
playing with friends and enjoying yourself. Whereas if you want to play competitively, you intend to build armies and go play at tournaments. And like, if you enjoy and already have a history in miniatures and tabletop games, and you already like doing competitive, that'll be your side of it. But you can also have different levels of those. So there's the spectrum. Yeah, there's a spectrum. Spectrum of every one of those players. So I like to call them the lore junkie, the fun guy, haha, <laughs> funny orc joke, and playing to win. So you could be any combination of those. If you want to be a competitive lore junkie, you're going to tournaments, but you're playing an army that sucks because you like the lore behind them. You don't care if you win or lose. You're just going there to have a good time and play your army. You could also be a casual play to win player where you're playing casually with friends. You're not going to tournaments, but when you do play, you're trying to play as best as you can in order to do everything you can to win. Or you're just the fun guy and you want to just do whatever's stupid and silly and doesn't really matter to you. You're, but you're an orc player. Exactly. You're an orc player. So That's what it is. Either way, whatever kind of player you are, there's all different play styles, and 40k is very forgiving in the fact that no matter what kind of person you are, I feel like a lot of people can find enjoyment in the game, regardless of your level of competitive like drive and how much you want to invest into it. It was interesting, because whenever you uh, we were going over your notes for this the other day, and you would propose this idea, it, it was kind of, it was it was a good analogy for me that the alignment system in D&D, because it's basically, you have different levels of yeah. good versus evil, lawful versus chaotic kind of thing. And when we were talking about it, I was like, it, we I felt like you and I kind of fall into the same level of category. We are far more casual. Um, we don't attend a lot of tournaments, although I'd like to go to one. It won't eventually. Point. Eventually. But I don't know that I'm ever going to be at that level. I simply don't have the kind of time to put into it that, to get to be that level of good. So I think I put myself in like the casual competitive. Like I play casually, I have fun, and I'm more interested in having fun. But the lists that I will bring, primarily if it's my choice, are going to be in the more competitive side because they are trying, I am trying to win the game that I'm playing. So I think that kind of puts both of us. But that doesn't mean that it, whatever works for you, whatever, again, whatever way, that, I'm not trying to be uh, the 40K rules Nazi. <laughs> like, you, whatever way that you would take enjoyment from the game, take, if you're enjoy, taking enjoyment from the game is kicking babies in the face and slapping puppies and, and go for it. I, I mean, if that's how you enjoy the game, I mean, I, I'm not going to, I'm not one to call you wrong. Um, I think that more often than not, the larger majority of the population of 40k players, even those that attend tournaments, more fall into that casual competitive. They may be more competitive, but they are still there to have a good time. They're still there to make sure that not only are they having a good time, but their opponents having a good time. That's the important part of uh, you're you're playing with plastic spacemen and dice. Like legitimately, let's call it let's call it call it what it is. It's a game. It's a game, and a game's meant to be fun, and it's meant to be fun for both players. Sure, you can have those bad games, but... but yeah, but so regardless of what kind of person you are, I think knowing going in what you intend to do, if you intend to play competitively, then you should probably do some research on what or what armies are good, and like if you intend to play competitively, how to make your army good. That's going to happen. In, in every army, you're going to have those units that are going to be considered to be the good, the meta units out of those codexes, and the ones that are like, oh god, that unit's awful, but damn, they look cool, so I'm fielding, so I'm them. fielding them. I don't care if they, look, if they do nothing. Exactly. But so, that brings us to actually having an idea on what you need to be prepared 
Because there's the running joke that the reason the game is called Warhammer 40,000 is because you need to invest $40,000 in order to play it. It's not that much, but it's not that far off. It is an expensive thing, and I I make this argument all the time. Every hobby is expensive. If you decided that you wanted to get into golf tomorrow, you'd find that golf is an expensive hobby. Skiing, skateboarding, if you're into racing cars fast. I mean, like, every hobby, for the most part is expensive it just depends on how much of a hit you're willing to take on your wallet and how much disposable income you have that you're willing to dedicate to your hobby in that time talking about armies and places to go and you know how you know what you want to buy ebay is also a good place for that yeah you know if you you know because you can get a maybe a painted army for less than what you would pay to buy all the plastic all the paints and all the time that you're going to spend to sit down and play um, finding a used army is a good place to start too, if you don't want to spend as much, or if you want a you know built army, it's a good place to start too. You know, some people will charge you value of the army, but you're getting everything you need pretty much to start, probably without the books. Yeah, probably without the books, but hey, they're painted and ready to go. If you're not a person who wants to paint. Yeah, and that's actually a pretty good point. Like, so for the most part, you need to kind of go in knowing, expecting that codexes are going to change over years. So you're going to be buying a new book every few years for your army. You're going to be buying a new rule book when an edition changes. You're going to be buying a new codex when the new book, when the new codex for that new edition comes out for your army. But for the most part, now don't quote me on this because they have, um, they have redacted model lines before. For the most part, the models are basically evergreen. Once you paint a 10-man tactical squad of Space Marines, you were able to make those in 2nd edition. Those same 10-man Space Marine squads can still be fielded in ninth edition. So the other point to that one, uh, when buying those armies online, if you're going to go down that route and you don't really, you're not really interested in painting the models, I would highly recommend painting an established army. Like so, for example, if you're going to go Space Marines and you like red Space Marines, I would highly recommend getting Blood Angels because there's a lot of Blood Angels out there. If you like green Space Marines, I'd recommend going with Dark Eld or Dark Angels because there are going to be green Space Marine players. Like so, you'll be able. My point is, if you buy like a ten man unit from this guy and a tank from that person and another unit from that person, they'll at least come close to all matching. As opposed to the people that paint their own chapters, like those, they're not going to match your army. So, yeah, good friendly piece of advice if you're going to go down that route. So, generally speaking, in terms of the uh, economic side of things, I have these. These numbers are going to be a little bit off, but generally speaking, if you by yourself are trying to start up, it'll call it. That'll probably run you anywhere from about two hundred USD. To a, and and conversion, it's about 172 pounds. Uh, it's it about and then if you're gonna buy, because that that's with buying a combat patrol, a rule book. You're getting this is assuming you're going from like nothing, having nothing. You're buying the main rule book. You're buying yourself a combat patrol, your own codex. You're gonna need your tape measure, uh, modeling glue to actually build them with, an exacto knife to shave off all the. Uh, mold lines and all that you're gonna need modeling clippers to actually clip them out of all the sprues and i didn't include dice in that number because for the most part if you go to like your local either hobby store or your local even like your dollar like a dollar store you can typically find pretty decent dice 
at like a dollar store in bulk for not very much. But so for one person, you're going to run about $200 USD. And for two people, I it's like around 300 because you're going to have to buy a second combat patrol, which those run like 127 on online if you buy them off Amazon. So it's going to be around a 200 to $300 investment to get started. That's like your first 500 points. Um, the prices that we're mentioning, by the way, we're talking eBay prices. Roughly. Um, we highly, highly, I always completely believe in pay where you play. So if you do have a local game store available to you and they do have this kind of stuff on the shelf, they need to keep their lights on too. They're kind enough to provide tables, terrain, places like that. It's worth the extra couple of, you know, 15% that you're saving by buying it off of eBay to maybe potentially support your local store as well. So just throwing that out. Just just a thought. Yeah. So the basic rules to the game are completely free on Games Workshop website. You don't have to buy the main codec or the main rulebook to see all of them. There is a basic version that you can get on the Games Workshop website for free. It is missing a couple of things. It's yeah. important to note. It's missing rules on specifically how to build an army, uh, what detachments look like, and it, it completely negates, I think, all of the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the command point stuff. Like, all the, yeah. all the basic stratagems are not in that basic one. It's it's but basic for a reason. It's like... If this is your first venue into a Games Workshop hobby, you need to kind of expect that there are two books that you're always going to have, at minimum, when taking your army. You're going to have the main rulebook, or some equivalency of... And you're going to have a book that is specific to your army. And it's a combination of those two rule sets. The basic rule set on how to play the game, plus how your army functions inside of that basic rule set. And it's been that way for decades. Of, that's how the Games Workshop hobby. They do the same thing in their fantasy version of the game. It used to be Warhammer Fantasy. Now it's Age of Sigmar. Same thing. It's There's a main rule book, and then there's an army book. Or what I, I don't know what the Age of Sigmar equivalent is. I apologize I, for not knowing that I've never played that game. Yeah. So yeah, you can get started for free. The very, very bare bones basic rules are available in a PDF format for download from Games Workshop for free. It's once you want to start actually building an army that you need to get a you code get the rest of it. and you need to get the full rule book. Now, what I wish they did do, this is one of the things that Games Workshop drives uh, drives me nuts with. Way back in the day, I think they started with fifth edition and it ran all the way through seventh edition. When you bought that starter set you got a paperback version of the full rule. Yeah. It was a smaller mini rule book fit in your back pocket on your standard jeans kind of thing. And it removed all of the lore, all of the fluff stuff in it, which was nothing. Just rules. Just rules. And I loved having those because these main rule books, they're legitimately, there's like 35 pages of rules and it's a 400 page book. The rest of it is art and fluff oh, and all, all fantastic. That. They're beautiful to read through. But it's you're hauling around this brick every time you go <laughs> anywhere to uh, to to an event. You're like you've got this gigantic book. It's in my like you can reasonably use the book itself as terrain if you need it. <laughs> right, exactly. So kind of keep that in mind. Like if it were me, I'd almost want to just print out those thirty five pages it's exactly. Um, just to have them there as opposed to the gigantic rule book. But alas, they that that is that what you have to do is to take that rule book with you. So at this point. Uh, assuming that let's say you've gotten everything you've got models you've got boxes in front of you all shipped in from wherever you just went to the store you just bought all this stuff and you're ready to start getting ready if you intend to play tournaments and you are brand new to this game i hi this is such a small detail but i highly recommend if you intend to actually play in tournaments at some point to not put arms and weapons on your minis 
until you have figured out how you want them to be kitted out. Because the way that the Games Workshop rules work for official tournaments is that how a model is modeled is how they play on the tabletop. So if I have a Space Marine with a bolter, he has a bolter. If I have a Space Marine captain with a power sword and a bolt pistol, that's what he has. And these rules are affectionately known as WYSIWYG. It is an acronym that represents is what you see is what you get. get. So you just got to make sure that if you're putting something on there, that is what you want them to be for the tournament. If you're playing casually and you don't care and you want to have some other way of marking it. doesn't care. Let's make sure. Oh, yeah, true. And your opponent doesn't care. Then it's fine. So you actually just actually had a similar problem with this whenever you got your first play burst crawler is you get one gun on one side and one on the other. And I'm like, it's not WYSIWYG. Yeah, like oh, I don't really care. I'm like, yeah, but if you ever decide to take this to a tournament, to a tournament, you're not, yeah, you're not going to be able to field it because it's got one of each gun. So we had to end up having to pull that one gun off, yeah, and put the other one back on. Now, luckily, the glue hadn't dried, so, so it was, was fine. We were able yeah. to get it, but if it had hardened by that point, because that's something else. If you don't know, um, games uh, workshop plastic, you can put it together two different ways. You can put it together with super glue. God help you if you're putting this stuff together with super glue. Um, you can. It's not. There's not necessarily anything wrong with putting it together with super glue. Does make it easier to snap arms off later if you want to change weapon. But it also makes it so that whenever you accidentally hit a bump too hard in the road on the way to the store, half of your models snap in half in the case on the way there. There's that, or there's little Timmy on the three the three foot tall piece of terrain, and then someone comes in and bumps the table, and he falls off, and he shatters into a million pieces. Whereas if you use plastic glue, in for those old timers, it's going to be the old testers glue. It is a plastic cement that will actually bond the two pieces together. Once they're glued, they're never coming apart. Yeah. So that's, like I said, very important. If you intend to play competitively, keep the arms off until you know what you want to put on them. But legitimately, a lot of the newer kits, like, for example, when I put together the emulator tank and when I put together from for the Sisters of Battle, they're legitimately set up so that they're socketed. It's almost as if they're building those or making those models designed so that they can be magnetized so that you can swap those weapons out. Mm-hmm. But for me, I just never glued them. So if my emulator that day has a heavy bolter, I just put two heavy bolters. To, if it's got a multi-melt, I've got that. If I got the heavy flamer. So I can literally just pull those guns out. So there are little tricks to the trade. Blue tack is another thing you can use. That's a little that's a little um, sticky stuff they used to hold up on posters in the late 90s. It's still around. They still use it. Um, but you can actually put that in and actually hold weapons on. I've done that with like my Tyranids, something like none of my Carnifexes have their arms glued. They all have blue tech that hold the arms on, so if I really want to switch the armament out, I can just swap them out. And that way there, if they fall, it just you're, just, you're not begging someone in the, the game store, hey, does anybody got super glue? Yeah. Or they just squish them back on. Right. But so, okay. Now, okay, you got minis, minis with no arms. There are some very basic things that are going to be in your codex and in the main codex, or the main rulebook that we need to talk about because you need to understand what this stuff is. To even have a grasp on anything going on because the deeper and deeper you get into 40k and playing the game the more and more complicated it is so the more and more important it is to have an early understanding of how everything works so the first thing i'm going to talk about is keywords keywords are on a data sheet which is in your personal codex uh it is the sheet that basically has all the statistics of a unit of uh any models they will have a what's called a data sheet Basically, it tells you everything you need to know about how to use that model on the tabletop. So, the Parasite of Mortrex. So, in the keywords for this, 
it has faction keywords and regular keywords. So the faction keywords are Hive Tendril, Tyranids, Hive Fleet. And the Hive Fleet one is in those little brackets so that you can swap that out with whatever fleet you're playing with. Now, that's important whenever you're actually building an army because one of the more modern 9th edition codexes, when you're building an army, you have to not only pick the factions that they come from, in this instance, Tyranid, but you also have to pick a sub-faction for that army. The easiest way that every box you've ever seen of Space Marines is those blue guys. Those are the Ultramarines. That is the effect. Like, effectively, I would be picking Space Marines as the army, but Ultramarines as the sub-faction. Oh. And different sub-factions have different special rules. Space Marine Codex, if you want to use nah, it's It's the example. That's not the... The example is understanding what the words mean. So, for example, uh, in the regular keywords, there are infantry, there's character, fly, synapse, and then the parasite of Mortrex. So, big one being infantry, there will be a lot of abilities and different things that you'll see that'll say like, oh, do this to infantry unit. Infantry can go through ruins, whereas like tanks cannot. So, you have to know the keywords because certain rules have certain wordings, some units they're, they're unable to do certain actions based on their keywords. There are a lot of rules that if you read them, they will specify who you can and cannot target or what effects happen to certain units based on the keywords. So a lot of those things are keywords that'll help you understand who you can and cannot do things to and why. That is, very, you need to understand that for every unit that is on your army. Not just units too, certain uh, weapons have keywords too. So which it's or rapid fire three rapid fire one yeah there are other rapid fires point being keywords very important everything on your army you should know the keywords of or at least have the book handy to read the keywords for because those are incredibly important so and those keywords can be found in your main room yeah well your codex so from there in the actual idea of playing the game we are going to get into what a player turn is versus what a battle round is Player turn, kind of obvious and self-explanatory. It is the turn in which a player plays. It's your whole phase, it's all of your phases, and you actually having control of the your models on the table. Yeah, it's important to note for those who do not know, Warhammer 40k is a you go, I go. The player goes through every single one of their own phases in their turn. They go through their command phase, they go through their movement phase, their psychic phase, their shooting phase, assault and charges. And then they clean up at the end with the morale phase. And then the next player goes on with their next turn. And then they cycle through it all over again. Correct. So there is there is a full turn, the battle round turn, in which both players have gone through that sequence. Think of it like baseball innings. The top and the bottom of a round. So it's one person goes, second person goes, that's a battle round. So this is important because there will be certain missions there will be certain points that you can earn that specify that this if something happens by the end of a player turn or if it happens by the end of the battle round those are two different things in two different times and it's it's a small distinction but it's important so from there we have to get into actual logistics of the uh the game command points and victory points command points are a value that you will get um at the start of your game they basically allow you to do special strategy i think they're stratagem like okay my card says i can do like a very basic one the command reroll is i messed up with a dice roll i'm going to spend one command point to reroll that die and try again and you have a limited pool of command points that you can get and with as of the current edition and of the 29th of october on the in 2022 
how command points work is that you get one command point at the start of each player turn, which is, again, important to know that, is that you get two per battle round, but you get one per player turn. So on my turn, I get one. On your turn, we... Or, so on my turn, we both get one. And on your turn, we both get one. So that everybody's getting more command points and we don't have a million so that people can just strategize and spam. But then at from there, the beginning of the game. Yeah, at the beginning of the game. But then from there, there are victory points and objectives. Now, on a basic game of 40k, there are objective markers you this, can use. This is match play, by the way, just so we're on the same page. Yeah, match play to be specific. Crusade's a little bit different. You can have objectives in Crusade, but in match play, you will have objectives on the table, and they are essentially um, points that you need to go out and capture and defend. And Capturing and defending them will earn you a certain amount of victory points. The whole entire idea of the game is that we're all fighting for command of these points and doing our own things to try and earn points, and whoever has the most victory points at the end is the victor. That is the idea and the very basic premises. Now, there is a cap on the number of victory points that you can win in certain areas. So primary objectives, so every mission that you pick in the game will have primary missions. They're either going to be like, four, five, or six objective markers that are placed on the table that if you're standing within a certain radius of that objective marker and you meet the correct conditions, you get those points. Um, maximum is uh, 45 points total on those primary objectives. Each player then selects their own secondary objectives, depending on your game size is how many you should really select. Um, if you're playing a full, what would be considered standard game of 40K, which is at about 2,000 points, you would have three secondary objectives. You can get a grand total of 45 points from that, making a grand total of 90 points throughout a game. Um, there is an additional 10 points that you can get um, for having a fully painted army. That was Games Workshop's little way of saying encouraging people. For the most part, nobody actually follows that rule other than tournaments. This is, I think, one of the points you're getting ready to drive at. It is entirely possible for you to earn your maximum amount of primary objective points, victory points, and your maximum amount of secondary victory points and still win the game, even if you don't have you, a model on the board at the end of the game. Because of how the rules work now, you could die and have no models left on the table, but because at the end of the game, you had more victory points than your opponent, by definition, you win. I've only recently just had that happen. <laughs> so the other, the other thing I want to be very specific with, if you're playing, if you're intending to play for the first time, I highly recommend that you do not use objectives or victory points or command points. Ignore all of that. Just do a regular shooting range, just run at each other, get used to running, rolling dice, get used to measuring distances, get used to feeling how the game works and using the terminology. Victory points and objectives are a very strategic thing that you will learn in time. But if you're playing your first couple matches of the game, I highly recommend just roll some dice, have some fun, shoot at each other. Don't worry about who's getting what points. Just do that for like the first one, two, three games until you feel ready to actually throw in objectives as another element of the game. Put some terrain on that bar though so it isn't like a shooting gas. <laughs> then we can explain the phases of each game. You kind of went through it a little bit. We'll get into more detail. So the command phase is the first on your turn. You will get to the command phase and that's where... Certain little abilities or... That's when you're in your command points, for starters. Yeah, it's when you're in your command points, but certain abilities will pop there, and there are certain things that you can do that are like... It's usually very short. There's not really a lot to do in the command phase, but there are some useful things that well, you can do. 
you're probably not going to have a ton to do in the command phase for sure. But if you do decide to run named characters, some of them will have specific abilities that can only happen in the command phase. Movement phase. So movement, pretty basic. You take a tape measure, you you measure it out to the movement value of a unit, and then you just move more you want them to move on the table. It is important to note that that movement is going to be denoted in the data slate for your particular unit. Now, you do have an ability um, you can advance, which allows you to forego shooting in the following phase, unless you have a special rule otherwise stating, and then you can roll a d6 and add that number of inches to the amount of movement that they can do. Have it happen multiple times, right? They're four inches and I roll a six on the advance, and I have poxwalkers running at the same speed as tanks. But so, essentially... They're zombies. It's hysterical <laughs> watching them go that fast. Essentially, you have a set movement value, but you roll an additional die and you, it, you're you choosing to not shoot unless you have an ability that allows you to, but you get to move up to an additional six inches. Essentially, advancing is what is called an action. So if you're advancing because you need to move faster, just know you are trading off shooting or charging into like afterwards. So it's very important to only advance if you need to. After movement we get to go into all of our wizard stuff. So your psychic all characters, of wizards. all of your psychic characters. This is the phase where you get to, you get to cast your smites. You get to cast your weird demon summonings. It's also important to note that during your psychic phase, is it 24 or 32 inches for denying? It's 24. If your opponent has a psyker within 24 inches of your psyker, you, they are allowed to do a deny the witch roll, which is essentially whenever you roll to cast a psychic ability you roll 2d6 and when you do that if the opponent rolls higher than you your psychic ability is negated and so regardless of whether it was successful you are no longer allowed to do it because they said no and then more fun the phase after is your shooting phase this is where you're measuring out ranges you're picking targets you're rolling lots of dice and you're shooting stuff it's pretty basic we should talk a little bit about measuring range, because way back in the day... Well, yeah, how range is measured. You have to measure from... Okay, there's two types. There's measuring from model to model, and there's measuring from unit to unit. Now, models being on a base, and models that are not base. So, models that are on a base, as far as the rule book is concerned, you measure the two closest points of that model's base, and that is the distance. So... If it's it, whatever it is from base to base, you have to measure it out and your weapons in your codex will have a certain amount of range. For example, like regular bolters that space Marines have is 24 inches, 24 inches and 12 inches for rapid fire. Yep. So if you're within that range and you're able to see the target, you have line of sight, you are allowed to shoot them. Line of sight is very important and I'm not going to get into terrain and obscuring and all that stuff. That is way more complicated stuff for later. But basically, if you can see him and you're within that range, you can shoot at it. Different weapons have different ranges, and you can shoot from sometimes weird positions depending on the rules of that gun, but that's all specific stuff that you can get into with your own codex. Also, before we get past this, um, shooting at models that don't have bases, for example, tanks, those, it depends on the ruling, but for the most part, I think it's the closest point on the hull Correct. to the base. So even though your tank has this really, really cool gun that's modeled all the way at the back of the tank, you still are measuring range from the front of the tank. Right. Or, or whatever the closest point is to your target. The, also, the other thing to that is, it's for example, if it's a tank that has um, side uh, Swansons and they're all pointing forward, 
and they decide to shoot at someone behind them, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, way back in the early annals of 40k, you actually had side sponsors that only had a 45 degree firing arc, or 180, depending if you got lucky and had one that had a 180. And you actually had to measure, like, oh, is it in the firing arc, or isn't it? They don't do that. It's so annoying. Quite literally, so one of my favorite tanks in the game is the Predator tank, and it's from the Space Marines. It's got a big, big cannon on the front on a turret, but it also has these two side sponsors on the left and right side of the tank. If I happen to be shooting at a target that's on the starboard side of that tank, both sponsons can still shoot it, even though when I'm looking at it on it's the technically table, on the other side, technically on the other side and can't. Yeah, it's but, it's doing some Tokyo drifting to spin around and hit it. It's spinning donuts in the parking lot. So it hits you with both sponsons at the same time. Maybe any guns attached to it regard now, at least thankfully now, yeah, regardless of where the model is actually physically pointed, you can always hit as long as you're within range from closest point to closest point on the model. So that's your shooting phase. From there, after your shooting phase, we get into the charge phase. Now, what a charge is, is a attempt to run into close combat from a unit to another unit. Punch him in the face. So, charges, um, unless you have other special rules that say, I don't know that there's m- rules that allow you to go more than a 12-inch charge. Um, certain certain units you can spend command points for, actually, to get like a plus one or plus two to your charge, right. that kind of thing. Um, but for the most part, I don't see a ton that increases... There it's, are units like, for example, like my um, sister's Repentia, for example, um, if they have the girl with the whip, the uh, Repentia superior behind them, they roll 3d6 on their charge and they take the two highest. Right. So point being, for a charge, you typically, typically have a 2d6, which I actually should mention, when we say 2d6, we mean a six-sided die. The the D meaning die and the number six meaning the number of sides. So you hear me later say references to D3, and that does not mean a three-sided die. That means rolling a D6 and then dividing it by two, and then you, you round up. So essentially, if I roll a one, it's if, if I roll a one or a two, it's a one. If I roll a two or a, th- or a three or a four, it's a two. And if I roll a five or a six, it's a three. So it might depend, but D6 is a six-sided die, so that's what we mean when we say that. Yeah. For the most part, six-sided dice are the only thing going to be used. Occasionally, you will see the use of a D3. Yeah, like I said. Uh, yeah, in which instance, you just take like a one or two is a one, two, three or four yeah. is two, five and six is a three. Although I will say, if you are getting dice, I highly recommend you try to find somebody selling spin-down dials of uh, Magic the Gathering D20s, because that makes counting wounds on higher wound count models so much easier. Because trying to count 25 wounds on D6 is is ridiculous. And just having a spin down dial that just you can just spin it down the whole way as you're losing wounds makes life so much easier. So while it's not necessary, you might want to do yourself a favor at some point and invest in it. It's also a good idea if you are going to use dice as wound markers. You have a different set of dice than the dice that you're rolling on the table. Very important. Um, Because what happens more often than not is you get excited, you roll a whole bunch of dice on the table, and you accidentally roll it into your wound counter, and then you totally forget. If you weren't paying attention to how many wounds you had, nobody knows. You know, real real quick, Ed, just just a note for anybody... Who has just recently purchased a laser cutting printer thingy? Um, a good idea might be to make some uh, some dials for damage for 40k. I was just going to recommend this. Yep. Um, but you know, if you're listening to the show and you happen to have something like that, 
because spin down dials can get a little bit hourly too because they do roll yeah really well um it's you know like if you're so as, as you guys are talking i'm going through astro militarum stuff and i was looking at like a tank and you know if said tank had 20 hit points or 12 hit points or whatever um trying to keep it on top of a moving model might be a little difficult or even next to it right so having some type of little dial that you can manage hit points on that's i think a very good way to do it for larger units yeah one of the guys i play with uh at the store mike who plays in uh, plays chaos knights that's what he has he has those magnetic dials so because his things have like 26 wounds on that big uh abhorrent uh um titan or uh, knight that he's got yeah and he's just got the magnetic ones that he can just roll those down and the upside is like you said, they don't roll. If dice happen to hit them, they're not going to flip over. Um, so that's probably not a bad idea. But so, yeah, keeping track of wounds, you are going to have units that have multiple wounds. It's always common practice. You always see people do it. Oh, I'm just going to grab a die. That model took two wounds. Count up, uh, please, on your wounds, please. Or is it count down? Count down. It's count you down. mean countdown. Yeah, it's countdown so that we know how many wounds are left as opposed to how many it's... I don't know how many wounds your model has by looking at it. So if you're counting up how many wounds it's taken, I don't know how many it has left. So I please, standard practice, go down. So if you, if you have 18, cool. But then count down as you go so that the rest of the people... Another thing, just a slight thing, there are plenty of apps I'm sure that you could find that just have little counters. If you don't feel like buying special dice or you can't make yourself laser printed uh, spin or spin dials, I'm sure there's plenty of apps that you can have to just keep as wound counters or just little basic things. Just do what you got to do. It's a, it's it's all for the fun of the game. So from charging. Once you have successfully made your charge, we go in, well, assuming you made your charge, you go to the fight phase. And this is where all close combat happens. All... Can we have to rewind just a little bit on the actual charge itself? Um, basically, what you need to do is, oh, I, have, yeah. I have unit A. I want to go over and run over and punch unit B in the face. You're going to want to probably measure that distance to know. Well, you have to. Yeah. So, oh, it's, well, it's, in my opinion, it's good. Technically, you're not supposed to measure until after you've rolled the dice. In my opinion, it's good etiquette to actually measure that distance before so both you and your opponent agree, agree what you have to roll. It's seven. So when I roll that seven, I don't get the, oh, seven. Technically, it's eight. It you know, doesn't quite make it. No, no, no. We're both going to know ahead of time going into that. I need a seven to make that chart. So yeah, it's measure the distance. Again, units to unit, model to model, whatever. Closest points. Closest points between two models in those units, you need to make the distance in two d6 dice rolls so if you roll two dice and you roll equal to or above the amount that you need to get to there you have successfully made your charge and you can now move into the fight phase which is now where you get to punch them in the face special one last special note on the charge um there is a one inch range that you need to get this is true within one inch of a model so technically if you roll a seven you really rolled an eight because you are within one inch so from there, you get into the fight phase, and once you've made your one inch and you're in there and you're ready, this is where all of your dice rolls are happening. Um, again, I'll touch. I'll touch on this probably in another episode whenever I'm talking about this on data sheets. But each character and each model, each unit, all have different um, attacks that they can do. They have different amounts. They have different weapons and different abilities that they're doing in those attacks. But generally speaking. All units have a number for how what you need to roll. It's your weapon skill, what you need to roll in order to hit. So, like, 
if I need a three up, that means in melee combat, I am rolling a die and each die that I get that is a three, four, five, or six, so three or higher, is a successful hit. And once you've, oh, you know what? I probably should talk about hits and wounds. It's probably important too, because we talked about shooting. So hit rolls are um, important because you need to, your hit value is on your data sheet. It's different for weapon skill and ballistic skill for different units, but you have to roll equal to or above. So you'll see roll, you'll see numbers in your codex that are like, you will need to do this on a, a three plus or on a four plus or five plus, six plus, whatever it is. That essentially just means you need to roll that number or higher on the die to successfully complete that. So in this case, we're talking about successfully hitting a bullet or successfully punching someone in the face. That's what you need. Then... Once you've successfully hit, you still need to wound. So you've hit them, but it hasn't quite wounded yet. The way that wounds work are, again, in the data sheet, you'll be able to see all of this. There is a strength value and a toughness value for different weapons, different units. And all of this is, the way that it it works is it's, if your strength is, okay, I'm going to go from lowest to highest. If you're equal, so equal. yeah, well, you know, good point. If you're equal, so let's say I'm strength four, the thing I'm hitting is toughness four, I can wound them on fours. So four plus, four, five, and six is where I wound. If your strength is higher than the opponent's toughness, then you can hit them or you can wound them, I'm sorry, on threes. So three, four, five, and six. If you have a strength that is double or more to the toughness of what you're hitting, you wound them on twos. And then same same idea in the other direction. If your strength is less than the toughness of what you're hitting, you can only hit you have to wound on fives. And if it's half than what you're hitting, it is on sixes. So that's something to, very important to note is that when you're rolling, you have to make sure that you're actually wounding. So once you've hit, you still gotta actually wound. And you get used to the math. I know it sounds complicated, but you will genuinely get used to that math it's really quickly. Once you understand it, it's not that difficult to get used to. But so okay. After everything has gone on, everybody's been shot at, everybody's been charged at and punched in the face. This is where your morale phase comes in, and this is where it saves. Well, yeah, saves come in. I'm going to talk about saves later. Talk about sa- saves are their own conversation. Saves are their own conversation. Sorry again. I know. I got it. So, point being, that's I'm just talking about the basics of each phase and what happens. So. After all of that's gone down, we reach the end of the player turn in the morale phase. How the morale phase works is that if you lost, so for example, if we have a 10-man unit of Space Marines, um, we're going to say with no commander or leader, so I think they're what, default leadership 7? They're they're Space Marines, so they're default default leadership 8. 8? I'm sorry. Well, because, all right, so technically, you can't buy... Most squads without a quote unquote. Leader. Technically speaking, you're so correct. You're, I'm you're, just saying. Baseline space marine. The, ca- the captain got shot. He's gone. The sergeant. The sergeant got shot. I'm sorry. Oh, the sergeant got shot. Sergeant got shot. He's gone. Point being, there is a leadership value on your data sheet. How it works is that when you have lost models from a unit, you take the number of models that I had. So if I had a 10 man squad of space marines and I lost four in a round of shooting, you count four. And you roll 1d6, and if the d6 value plus the four models that were killed exceeds, keyword being exceeds, has to be above the leadership value of that unit, they have failed morale. And from there, one model automatically runs away in fear. And dies. And he dies, but 
then every other model you have to take is it what is it a, what's the actual role called it's a so we affectionately now still call it a dangerous terrain check because way back in the day there used that's to be what it used things. to be called it used to be terrain in 40k that used to be dangerous like if you're walking over like hot lava or like something. in field right but for all intents, it is a morale check and you basically roll the number of dice for each of your units and if you roll a one that is an additional unit unless you lost double your unit then it's a one or a two. right which that, that doesn't happen. That's that is absurd to happen. Well, if you've got large squads, like if you have a large thirty man like um, guard squad, for example, okay, it's it's a good example. eight or ten of them, it's entirely possible for it to come up. That's that's very fair. But point being, when you roll, if you've exceeded your leadership um, in the value, you have to one of them dies, and you have to roll for each other one, and each one that you get, another one dies. So morale could be very simple. A lot of units have morale is kind of pointless these days. A lot of the time, there's a there's lot of so, rules. So many units in the game being fearless. And I feel like this is one of the areas to the game that Games Workshop really needs to work on because it it just doesn't really have much of an effect in the game. Take the entire Tyranid Codex, for example. The entire Tyranid Codex. If you're within a gigantic range of a synapse creature, you are unaffected by the rules from around. Um, a lot of the space marines, for example, I think most of the space marine units don't care. And about they her. shall know no fear, which means they legitimately they don't. The entire phase pointless. So as long as you're like not Imperium and not uh, Tyranids. You do have a morale phase, but like for example, like the, the Necrons have like a leadership ten base. Yeah, or Eldar, Dark Eldar, Eldar and Dark Eldar, they can fail. Morale. Yeah, Eldar and Dark Eldar, they can they, fail they, morale. They fail morale all, all the time. The time. <laughs> so okay, that's the basics of what each phase is, and we're kind of running low on time, so I'm going to wrap this up really quickly. But once you have everything, you've got everything in front of you. You got your books, you got all your models put together. Maybe they have arms, maybe they don't, but you've got everything in front of you. Please sit down, and you don't have to. Le- you don't have to read through all of the fluff, but please, 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 please re- read all of the rules yourself. You will benefit unbelievably by just reading through it one time. Just give it a once over through both your own personal codex for your army and the main rule book. Give it a once over of all the rules so that you really feel like you have a good, solid understanding of how the game works before you have anything down on the table that is incredibly important and i cannot stress enough if you don't understand the rules fully the game doesn't really work well i don't know well, so hey, I, hey guys real, real quick i want to throw this in there if sure if, so for new people people that are just learning how to play any of the games workshop games if you go to warhammer tv and i don't know how much of this that people fully understand but they have literally episodes on learn to play basic principles, turn sequence, command phase, movement phase, psychic phase, shooting phase that explains in pretty good detail what you're trying to do all the way down to the morale phase. Mm-hmm. And then it goes to, you know, what the next steps are, you know, the more complicated stuff. That's the place that I would go. If you're a visual yeah. learner, if you're a visual learner and somebody who would get more okay. out of a video, than reading out of the book because the book is confusing being a new player to it and having played other you know a few other miniatures games there are things in this game that are so confusing that they're frustrating 
Sure. And, and I make that argument, like, so not only do you have the main rule book, we have rules in there that interact, but then you have your codex where rules interact, and then you have your opponent's army's rule. So yeah. you've got almost three separate sets of rules all interacting all at the same time. So right. while I agree with Gabe in the fact that you should probably read over those rule books once, I, I still have occasions where I have to pull out the main rule book because you get into these weird, weird scenarios where like, oddly specific things that will occur that you have this again mentioning keywords again this is one of those situations where it'll be like well can that specific unit perform that specific action and then you have to cross-reference three different books to be like okay well this book in the main or this rule in the main codex says that you need to be an infantry unit or uh whatever but technically speaking in my codex it says that he because he ignores that he rule. ignores that rule or so your codex said that you cast a psychic power that removed the one that right. I had. my ability so back, yeah it, so now we're back at square one so there's just there's so many weird scenarios so just like keep the books on hand anytime you're playing and, and, and another another part and i know that they have cards for this but command abilities you know yes if you pick space marines not only do you have the the main rule book you have the space marines codex then you have your chapter book your your supplement, with yeah. All your supplement, of your all of your uh, you know abilities that and psychic abilities and you know all of those things that Gabe's absolutely one hundred percent correct. Always have your books on hand because there's going to be things you're going to have to go back and reference. Because if you're trying to use the the cards and things like that, it may not explain every single thing that you need to know. It may be you have to make an assumption off the card or have your book there with you. But that's a key piece. That's where I have the hardest part with this game right now is all the command abilities and choosing the correct ones for the games. Because there are things that you may choose something that's for vehicles and you may not have a vehicle in your army. Yep. You know, and, and that's what you have to be careful of is and your armies too, you know, going with how you're gonna build your army. If you have vehicles, well, am I gonna have I can't remember what it's called, but of the tech the the tech marine. You know, am I going to have the the guy that can repair vehicles in my army? Because if I'm putting a lot of vehicles in my army, how am I going to keep them alive longer? Because there are a lot of points. So there's a lot of little nuanced things in this game that understanding the rules, whether, you know, in the books are your rule base. You know, the videos, you're going to get summaries of what the book is telling you, but you still need to go back to the book and understand what's in the book, too. Yeah, and all know, great interact. Yeah, and you know, just like this show is, but YouTube has resources upon resources upon resources for this game that people take the time make videos, and I would say use them. Agreed. Well, this hour went by really quick. Right. I'm gonna mention one last thing in the last couple in the last couple of minutes of this. There's a tool that you can download for free on your phone called Battlescribe. Please, please go get it. If you're intending to build armies and play this game, Battlescribe is unbelievably useful because not only um, can you go and download, it's there. Please, you should probably go look up a video on how to get 40k stuff on Battlescribe because it's a little confusing at first, but once you have it, it's okay. But you can build lists and you can make armies and you can have entire ideas and just like play with stuff. And then, but on top of that, you can see it. You can have a printed version if you so choose, or just a view that lets you see all of the rules and see all of the values and all the data sheets for all of those. So effectively, if you so chose, 
you could print out a battle scribe list that you made and have all of the rules that you would ever need to play that or, or play that list. And it makes it so that you don't have to reference your book every five seconds to remember what this ability does, because it'll say on your battle scribe list. So battle scribe is free on mobile. Please go get it if you intend to actually play this game. Right. Two caveats I want to add to that. A, first of all, expect the fact that um, the the codexes that get uploaded for Battlescribe are done by volunteers. Right. They are not being paid. So if your new book came out on Saturday, oh, that's our, that's our time going off. Um, if your new codex came out on Saturday and you're going on Monday to start building an army list and it's not in Battlescribe. It's not in there. It's not going to be. You need to wait for one of those wonderful, kind human beings who dedicate their time to doing this to be able to put that in. The second is... I have seen on occasion where typos have been made in Battlescribe. And so kind of take that with a bit of a grain of salt. It doesn't happen all the time. The, the devs are really, really good for that. But there have been some mistakes that do translate over um, that are that are in Battlescribe. The other thing, of course, is stratagems are not covered in Battlescribe. So, Almost everything. So I would recommend going out and getting one of those deck of cards. It's easier for me. But I mean, I get it if you don't want to give Games Workshop any more money. <laughs> but... Either way, um, there's a lot to cover, and we will cover it in future episodes. I'm gonna... You were worried that this list was you were gonna weren't gonna have enough to talk about. Well, we got close, we but got close. either way, I got a couple of closing things I want to do in the end, at the end of the show. First of all, of course, we are under the Dice Hate Productions. If you are listening to the show and you haven't had the opportunity, swing on over to the Dice Hate Productions YouTube channel. You can actually see that we're gonna maybe toss some pictures up. Gabe's gonna send some pictures over to uh, Chris to hopefully toss up into this video for this. Um, of course, you can. We have our own subreddit uh, that is going to be r slash heresycast. Go ahead and check that out. We haven't seen a ton of movement there, but we're still young. We're still growing, so I'm still hopeful, and we'll see how that goes. And, of course, there is the ever-popular Discord where we're sitting at right now. Swing into that and say hello to everyone. Yeah. Um, good job. How was it sitting in the hot seat? <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It was fun. I, I think it took me a minute to get all over my, like, you guys have... Or at least you have a lot of experience talking be, to a camera. Yeah, Chris and Sean are right there with me. They've been yeah. doing it for years. I'm I'm still I mean, I have I have my own stuff that I'm doing and I'm getting used to You should plug that if you can if you if you want to. You can find me. Uh, I'm on YouTube and I think I have a, I think I have a, technically have a TikTok. I don't really upload there, but I have a YouTube. It's a Sohe Scorpion, uh spelled S-O-H-E-I. And then, obviously, Scorpion. You can find me there. I'm Gabe. You know me from here. Um, I have my team, Team Sohi. You can probably find us on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram. We have all of our stuff everywhere. We're standing at the podium on uh, certain events here soon, right? <laughs> you, you can look look it up. It's We're pretty much the only people named that, so it won't be that hard to find us. But um, I think that's pretty much it. That's it. So I appreciate everyone tuning in. Uh, on the next episode, we're going to continue more talk. We're going to get a little bit deeper, dive into the rules, kind of go over a little bit more stuff inside the rules and then following that we might have a hobby one we might have to do we have to do the first Ooh. of the hobby shows before we return back to the uh the lore. world of lore and we get to talk about the age of apostle oh, oh i can't wait all right so gabe your show yours i gotta make a closing all right well sean by first well thank you for joining us sean it's always a pleasure yep great to be here anything you want to anything else you want to say closing statements Nope. I'll take that nope, nope, nope. I'm good. I'm good. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We should leave that in. Perfect. Leave, that in. leave it in, Chris. Anyway, either way, thank you very much for listening or watching, depending on where you're looking at this. Um, I will see you guys in the next one. Bye.